Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Pattersonhood is, in a lot of ways, the ultimate wheels off guest. When I started figuring out that I was going to end up giving in and doing a podcast. The only thing that interested me was having the conversation that I have backstage at like the Fillmore or at some music festival with Patterson Hood and a handful of other people. But Patterson is like the perfect example. When we get together over the years, over the decades now, we have this conversation about creativity what are you doing? What are you making? What are you thinking? Where are you coming from? What's next? How do you deal with this? It's that nuts and bolts conversation, but it's also wildly philosophical. And that's the conversation that I love. That's the one that Patterson and I have over the years. And it's the one that I try and reenact every time I sit down with a guest on Wheels Off. Now, you should know about Patterson that he drops a lot of F-bombs and GD-bombs, and this is going to be a explicit conversation. If you know Patterson, you also know that he has a lot of hot political opinions, and those will come out on the show. He's very outspoken, and if that's going to trigger you, please don't listen. Also, you should know that his dad, David Hood, is a really famous bass player. He's the bassist in the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. You know, widely regarded as one of the greatest bass players to, you know, ever play music. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, so we end up talking a lot about his dad and we don't get into the backstory on him. So that's that's that, so you know that in case you didn't. Also, I should tell you right up front that I've got a bit of a faux pas. I knew that they had put out a record at the end of January, the Drive-By Truckers, Patterson's band, The Unraveling, great record. I did not realize, it didn't land with me, that they had put out a record in late October as well. Two records in 2020 from the Drive-By Truckers. At this point, they're just showing off. 
So I, I didn't realize that until I asked him when the record was coming out. Ooh, I realized I'd stepped in a bear trap, and sorry, Patterson, I'm just treading water over here myself. Anyway, I'm really excited about this episode of Wheels Off. I'm really grateful that he joined me for this conversation. Please welcome Patterson Hood. Welcome to Wheels Off, Patterson Hood. Man, I'm so thrilled to be here. And, uh, good to catch up with you. <laughs> I know. It's, it was exactly one year ago. I was in Portland and we were having brunch together. And, and Is that like this? That was like this week, maybe even, wasn't it? It was like right now, a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like January 24th. And here we are recording this. This is not going to come out for a few weeks, but January 20-whatever, 7th. And yeah, one year ago. What a, what a year it's been. Good God. We had no idea. We had no idea that we were about to be totally waylaid and, you know, so many of the things we hold dear in our lives were just going to be gone, vaporized for a while. <laughs> Although now that I think about it, I remember being at your house, which is a really cool house. And I remember you saying, boy, I wish I had more time to like work on the kitchen and do all this work around there. Right, <laughs> Guess right. what? You got more time. Right. Yeah. I want to spend more time with my teenager before my teenager is gone, you know, and I definitely got that. And I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And, and, you know, once I'm on the back end of it and actually have a job again, I'll be able to really revel in the good parts of, of the year. But, uh, but when I was and, and even now I'm, I'm better able to, but when I was in the thick of it, you know, last summer and it's like, Will I ever work again? Will there ever, you know, what, what's going to happen? And then, and uh, I was, you know, I was pretty depressed. I mean, I was, uh, I, I would say I was about as dark depressed as I've been in, you know, since I was 27 and probably even worse. And uh, uh, so it was, it, it was a pretty grim time, but, uh, but I always was able to luckily find something to, to, to deal, to do, to, to make me, make me able to deal with it, you know? And, uh, and, um, you know, we, we've gotten this far. I'm feeling pretty optimistic about, uh, maybe not the immediate short-term future. I think it's still going to suck, but, but I think it's gonna, I feel very optimistic about the longer term future. Yeah. Knock wood, your lips to God's yeah. ears. So, yeah. um, so what creative project are, are you working on right now and, and how does it light you up? Um, well, we, we made another record and, uh, we did that record super fast, uh, at the end of the summer. And that came at a particularly, I mean, I was like, that really helped. That really helped me because it gave me something just to focus on and to feel like I was doing something, uh, I felt like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, you know, something that I actually feel like I know how to do. I can do this, you know, it's like, it was like, I got to put my cape back on, you know, and, uh, and so that was, that was good. And that really helped. And, uh, and I was happy with what we ended up with. I was really happy, really proud of the record we made. And um, so that, that helped and that bought some time. And then once we got, you know, once we got on the other side of the election, I started feeling better about things because, you know, if, I mean, that asshole could have won again. And <laughs> if he had won again, 
this was going to drag out a whole lot longer than it's going to, I mean, it's, you know, it's already drug out so long, but I mean, you know, as we've, as we've found out since Biden got in there, there was no plan. There was nothing being done towards any of this, towards, towards fixing the things that have taken so many of our livelihoods away from us and, you know, caused so much death and, and destruction. And uh, so at least now there's a plan and there's something being worked towards. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of people are really working, you know, people I know who are in the healthcare industry are just like, you wouldn't believe the difference just in two weeks, the, the because wheels are turning, you know, there's so much to do, but at least we're doing something now. And um, so, so that, that helped. And, um, and, you know, and, and my family, we, as a family, we really, we really rallied at the end of the year too. We, uh, uh, cause they were, you know, they were all depressed too. I mean, my kids hate online school, you know, and my, and uh, my wife is facing, you know, some surgeries at the beginning of this year. And, and so there's a lot of stress in that regards. And, and, uh, and everyone was really bummed out about the idea of, the holidays being what they were going to be this past year. And, uh, uh, but we, we really, really dug in and pulled off a pretty wonderful Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, uh, and, and I think that kind of helped all of our spirits too. You know, it's like, God, we can do this. We, 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 you know, we didn't get to see our loved ones. We didn't get to do all these things that we normally associate with that time of year, but just the four of us, we really found a way to still make it special and sweet and, and kind of wonderful. And uh, and that was that was good. I think that was good for all of us. Kind of a healing thing. Oh, man, I love that. And and I'm really excited that there's a new record. Are they songs that you wrote like since, you know, since March, since it all locked down? Are they songs you'd kind of had around for a while? I've been working. I mean, it's on? already out. You know, it's out. And uh, oh, okay. it's uh, yeah, it, it's nuts. You know, when we were talking I guess the week after you and I hung out that day, we released the unraveling. Oh yeah. And, okay. Uh, which was our brand new record. Uh, but um, we, we put out another record. It came out digitally August, October 1st, I think. And, uh, crap. I mean, you did it that super fast? fast, like super fast. And uh, which I love that. And uh, it came out on vinyl the Friday before Christmas. Yeah. And, um, so um uh, so that was a cool, it was a cool experience. So when we, you know, we went to Memphis in September of 2018, the truckers went into uh, Sam Phillips recording service in Memphis and we recorded 18 songs and, uh, and knowing that that was way more than an album. We knew that there was like, you know, because uh, we, we've been known to put out albums with 18 songs on it, you know, more than once even, but, but we weren't going to do that, but we, we knew that there was probably two albums involved in what we did, but, uh, but it was all, we, we did it in a week. We cut like 18 songs in, in seven days. And, uh, and it was wonderful. It was one of my, probably my favorite recording experience in the history of this band. I mean, we had just an amazing time and, uh, loved the, loved that studio, loved everything about it. And, uh, uh, so we, we figured out what the album we wanted it to be was, and we put that out in January, uh, or I guess the last day in January of uh, 2020, the unraveling. So we had some other songs, some of which 
I had earmarked for this album I want to make. And uh, then, you know, July happened and and we had all the protests here in Portland. It it got really nuts here this last summer. I guess anyone that don't remember, you know, there was all the Black Lives Matter protests that broke out all over the country. Portland's version of it got pretty, pretty crazy. And, 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 uh, and there was, I think, a lot of other things involved. Like, I think there were uh, Proud Boys counter-protesting, and it, and it became violent. And there was a, a shooting, and the goddamn, you know, Trump administration basically sent in federal troops to occupy our town. And uh, so uh, I ended up writing a couple of songs about that as it was all happening. And... Um, we just kind of made this decision the last week in July. Uh, it was actually Kevin Morris, our manager, uh, and Christine Stoddard, our other manager. They they kind of approached me. It's like, why don't we put out another record this this fall? And my first off-the-cuff answer to that was very negative. And, uh, and you know, it's like, oh, great. Now we can have two brand new albums that we can't tour behind, you know? <laughs> and like, all right, you know, you got a bad attitude, you know, sleep on it, you know? And so, and so I was kind of ranting to my wife about the absurdity of the idea. And my wife, Rebecca was like, that's a great idea. It's like, you've got those two new songs. You, they need to come out. You need to put them out like right now. Like you need to just make this your mission to get this done and out before the election and just get it out there. And uh, it's like, you're right. You know? And so I call it back. It's like, okay, you know, we, well, let's do a record, you know? And they're like, well, if, if you can have us everything by the 12th of September, artwork, liner notes, everything, we can have vinyl by Christmas. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's like, okay, done, let's do it. You know? And so, um, I recorded, uh, recorded two songs up here in this room and, um, just on my task cam and sent those. And, uh, Brad took what I did and laid down in the David Barbie studio in Athens drum parts for those two songs. And then we had another song that, Brad and I had demoed together in 2013 that was written, I guess, for around the time of what became our English Oceans record, but it didn't end up, it just, that record took a turn and became a totally different thing. And so it never got used, but I always liked the song. I always wanted to do something with it. And I remember it's like, wow, we got a drum part for the distance. It's like, I wonder if we can include that too and finish it. And so so we ended up with three songs on drums that I then went into Chris Funk's studio here in Portland and laid down guitars and, and lead vocals and uh, and then sent back to the band and everybody put their parts on at home. And, uh, uh, and then Barbie mixed it. And then we took several songs off the tracks from Memphis, but we didn't touch. There were three songs in particular I didn't want to touch because they're already earmarked for a project, like for a record I'm writing. And uh, so I didn't want to touch those. But there were some other there's some good stuff. You know, it's like, man, this, we ended up with a record. And then as we were kind of putting it together, at first, it was going to be an EP. And it's like, that's kind of a long EP or we could just be a short album. And then I remembered the last The last night of our Memphis recording sessions, we were finished. We had just cut 
the last song. We were about to pack up, start loading, the, get ready to load the truck and, and leave. And uh, David Barbie came out in the room. It's like, it's like, you're all set up before you do anything else. I want you to do one take of the KKK took my baby away. <laughs> and, uh, and we've been playing it live. We've been covering it ever since American band came out. And yeah. uh, it's like, it's like, it's like one take, just do it live vocal, you know, and uh, our bass player, Bobby, Matt, uh, Matt Patton sings it. It's like, got like, you know, and there was already a mic set up cause he had just sung another song. And, uh, uh, and so it's like, you know, just do it live vocal, everything. Let's just do it. One take. And so we did it in one take. And then the only overdub on it was uh, we all stood around one mic and did the backup vocals and like the shout out stuff, you know, to make it a true proper Ramones cover. And, uh, and so we had that all mixed and everything. It's like, so we put that on as the last track of the record and it was like the cherry on top. It was like perfect, you know, and because, because we didn't really even know what we were going to use it for. It was like, like, oh, you'll be glad you have, you'll be glad you have this someday. Was what David Barbie said, and we were. So, and you were. Oh so my we god, I love that. So the album's called the New OK, and because um, that was every all summer, people, you know, hey man, how you doing? It's like I'm okay. It's the new OK, you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's not really okay, but it's the new OK. And which also is kind of a play on that white supremacist thing. Oh, where they do that. Yeah, the old okay hand sign has been like, you know, taken over by, you know, by Nazi assholes for white supremacy. So the new okay, it's not okay, you know, and, and so, uh, so we did it. I mean, we got the we got the artwork, got everything done. Wes Freed did a beautiful cover and, uh, uh, and we turned it in on September 13th and it was out in the world on October 1st and it's on vinyl, I think December 18th or something. So Holy uh, shit. man, that's amazing. And yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know I'm like treading water here in my office yeah. doing four shows a week. And I can't, I wouldn't have ever been able to guess. Cause when I was with you in January, you were like, Oh man, this record's coming out. And then we spoke right after everything locked down and you and I were both you helped me so much. You helped me so much too, man. So, I, I'm, I'm so glad that we, you and I are, do, we're doing stuff. I'm so proud of like this, like to hear you get so excited about stuff. That's, that's the Patterson that, that I know. And I'm, and uh, I, it's, it's hard yeah. not to be depressed, but. When we were talking this spring, I was not in a good place. And you were, you were so wonderful uh, as a friend. And I, I so appreciate it. And oh, man. Uh, it, it, it helped me so much. And just trying to figure out, I didn't know how we were going to keep the house. I mean, you know, we, we weren't exactly in great financial shape going into this year on a, on a family level, personally, or the band, because the band hadn't put out a record in several years. And we, when we decided we were going to put the unraveling out in January, we intentionally did like the super light fall. Let's like just the bare minimum last fall so that we weren't going to burn any markets for this new record so that we could go out and, you know, the truckers, they're back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been so long. They're back. Oh. You know? And, uh, uh and then we weren't back. We actually ended up with a year off, which we've never done in our history. And um, and so it was, uh, so it was really precarious. And uh, uh, and we didn't know how we were going to survive it. And so, uh, so I was terrified. You know, it's like I, I just moved into this house. I don't want to move out. 
<laughs> and I can't afford any other house in Portland. And I don't, I sure don't want to move back cross country right now. I don't want to do it, you know? So, uh, uh, I can't afford to do that either. <laughs> so, so it was terrifying. So you, you grew up in a musical world and like you, you know, you sort of knew this, the deal from a very young age, but I wonder about you because a lot of kids in your situation could have rebelled and gone straight, you know, stock market or whatever, you know, it, it would have been easy for you to do any number of things. And I know my sister tried to do, uh, not <laughs> stock market, but as far as, uh, she was militantly, not going to be a musician, not going to date a musician, uh, sure the hell not going to marry a musician. Uh, she, when she was a teenager, she would have said that she would, you know, would, she would never be an artist of any kind. Uh, as it's turned out, she is an artist and a really good one. She's a graphic designer and, and really good. And, uh, but, um, but that was after she got out of college and worked a year as a, as a journalist and then went back to school and, and got her graphic design degree. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was never any, there was never, there was never a backup plan. There was, there was never, uh, there's a line and one of, one of my favorite lines of any song ever written is by the Roaches, uh, Maggie Roach, who's, who's let Macy rest in peace. Such an amazing songwriter. And, uh, she had a line in a song called down the dream. And the line was, uh, there should be something to fall back on like a knife or a career. And, uh, and I loved it. That was like my mantra, you know, it's like, I don't have anything to fall back on, but a knife, you know, I was so cocky, you know, 20, 22 years old and full of beans. And, and, uh, you know, and, and that was, that was all I was ever going to do was this. And, uh, so do you remember that? Do you remember like the moment as a little kid when you, or was this pre-consciousness? Like, did you always know, or was there an epiphany moment as a kid where you're like, all right, this is it. I'm going to do music. That's my thing. Well, when I was really little, I wanted to make movies. I wanted to be a film director because that's my other passion, love in life is is movies. And uh, uh, I'm probably a bigger geek as far as talking about movies than music. I mean, I really love geeking out about movie shit. And uh, but uh, I was eight when I started writing songs and uh and I think I heard them in my head already, but I think I was eight when I consciously realized, oh, those are songs. I should write them down. And so I started writing songs and uh, and you can look at my report cards. And that's when I went from being an A-B student to a C-D student. And uh, <laughs> like that six week or that nine week period was like my grades just plummeted and never really recovered. And um, that was all I was ever going to do. Uh I was obsessed about it until my senior year in high school. I had a, uh, uh, this story kind of sounds bad on my dad, but I don't mean for it to, because 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 he's not a villain in the story, even though it might sound like it, particularly to young people. But uh, my dad came and saw me play for the first time. And uh, I was a senior in high school and I was playing in the, this band I was in. We, got a gig playing at the college at the university at, in the big auditorium which i'm sure had probably you know 50 people in it so you know how awesome that sounds you know <laughs> on the big stage with nobody there and he came and i was you know my dad had never come to see me and he's a you know he's a musician he's a a, a professional 
you know, real deal musician. And I was, I'm sure nervous. And so I got good and drunk, you know, and, uh, and I, and I didn't know how to do that yet. And so I played really shitty. I was pretty, we were pretty bad. And, uh, and I, I think I was probably the worst one up there of, of and none of us were particularly good. And he came down real hard on me, you know, the next day he was like, I, you know, he, he like came in, I was eating cereal or something, you know, and he was like, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I see really, really talented people come and go, you know, and, and not make it. And, and I, you don't have, it's like, you don't have what it takes. You're not, you should not be doing this. It's like you, you, you know, I see people who are way better than you, not able to get their shit together enough to do it. And I've never seen anything from you that tells me that you would be any different, that you could do this. And so you should really consider going to school and going to college and finding something else to do. And I was, it destroyed me. I mean, I was just like, you know, I, I was, you know, and I'm sure I didn't show, I probably didn't show any emotion about it whatsoever. I probably didn't even acknowledge. He probably doesn't even remember us having that conversation to be totally honest. Cause we never, we've never talked about it. And, uh, but I was, it was, you know, I was like, I was like, well, shit, I guess he's right. And so I went to college for four years and for four years, I did not touch my guitar and uh, my, it, it stayed in the case and same set of strings. And, uh, and, uh, but I never stopped writing. I never stopped writing songs. I probably wrote 500 songs while I was in college and I still made terrible grades and I changed majors every semester and never found anything I wanted to do. And, uh, uh, and then in 1985, uh, my fourth year in college, I was barely a sophomore and uh, I got asked if I wanted to write record reviews for the school paper. And it's like, it don't pay, but you'll get two albums a week. It's like, fuck yeah, <laughs> two albums a week. I can't afford two albums a week. Hell yeah, you know. And uh, I reviewed The Replacements Tim that fall and I got obsessed with it. It's like, I was like, it's like, this is the greatest record. I mean, this is one of my favorite records I've ever heard. And, uh, and I was out driving around one night, which is something else I would do. And uh, my roommate at that time was Mike Cooley. That's how we had just met. That's how we met was we were roommates. See, I met him the day I moved in to the apartment he was living in. And um, he had a guitar. I had a guitar. And so we would sit around and sit in the living room and drink cheap beer and, and play guitars. And one night, he was out or something. So I was just out driving around and uh, I was listening to Tim over and over and over in my car, just driving country roads around, you know, rural North Alabama. And here comes a regular was playing for probably the fifth time or something. And I had this like moment of clarity. It was like a light came on and it's like, this is what I need to be doing. I'm in totally living a lie. This is what I need to be doing. And so I dropped out of school and Cooley and I formed Adam's house cat and we've been playing together 35 plus years. We're on our 36th year now playing together. Uh, the truckers was our fourth band together. So we had three dismal failure bands before, you know, we were 11 years in before we formed the truckers. So, uh, and that's it. That's, that's the true story. God, I love that. That's, that's, um, that's really beautiful. And I love the idea that you tried 
all these other things and you tried to do the square stuff or the the right way major for one semester <laughs> <laughs> evil so so i wonder like i i feel like you in your music you deal with this a lot and i feel like you as just a person that i've spent time with you're really open about it but you you know you run up against depression like we've already talked about today you run up against stuff inside of yourself where you know these internally generated obstacles is what they they wind up getting called on these wheels off conversations so i i just wonder like what have you figured out like how do you get past these internally generated obstacles um i think i write through them is is the is the best answer that doesn't always work and and you know there was a but 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 when i'm lucky i'm able to that's the best thing i mean i think that's the reason for the majority of my songs is that's my way of processing something usually something bad because if it's something good, shit, I don't want to write about it. I want to experience it. I want to live it and, lo- and, and love it, you know. And that's why there's not a lot of happy trucker songs, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's some dark ones that sound that might be disguised as happy songs occasionally, but they're usually there's usually something I'm trying to work out in there. And uh, and so that's why that's why it's there. I love that. So it's music as therapy or creation as therapy. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was that way this summer. I mean, uh, when the, when the lockdown first happened, it's like, I mean, I thought it was going to be like, God forbid this, this might drag out for three months, you know, Oh no, what are we going to do? You know, it's like, I'm going to write, I'm going to write a lot. I'm going to write that book I've been talking about. I got, I had all this shit I was going to do. And, uh, the first week I was doing it. And then I just, and then I just hit the wall and I couldn't write at all and uh, couldn't really do anything. But when the, uh, when the protest, the, the weekend after George Floyd's murder, when the protest really started up, I was, uh, I was at home and uh, it was in my backyard and the sky was this horrific orange color and you could hear the sirens and you could hear tear gas. You could even smell I think traces of the tear gas in the air. And uh, there was, you know, it was all helicopters everywhere and searchlights. I mean, it was like all hell was breaking loose. And, you know, we're like a mile away from where all that was, but you could hear it kind of in the distance. And yet our neighborhood was very peaceful, you know, and the kids were asleep. And I'm like, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of like experiencing this really weird dynamic of, Obviously, some really bad shit is breaking out right across the river. And yet, you know, I live in this kind of idyllic. You've seen my neighborhood. You know, it's kind of a little idyllic spot. And uh, and I wrote a song that night. I, I wrote a song called Watching the Orange Clouds. And um, and that song was really kind of the reason for this album happening that we put out this fall. And um, and then uh, I went to the protest at the end of July uh, on what ended up being kind of one of the really big nights of the whole thing. I spent like seven hours out there uh, and it was, it was really kind of uplifting and kind of beautiful. And uh, uh, it's very different than how it was being 
talked about by the media and uh, not just by, you know, like the Fox News type media, but even by the like the even the the less right wing biased media. There was still this kind of the way it was being portrayed was really different than how it felt being out there. And uh, I was walking home across the Hawthorne Bridge at, uh, you know, midnight after having been out there since late afternoon. And as I was walking home, I noticed people who were walking the other direction, who were going towards it late at night. And it was a very different crowd than the people I had been out with for seven hours. You know, it was like the people in the protests, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of like angry talk, but it was in a very productive kind of uplifting kind of thing. You know, it was like, this was different. This was like people going to go fuck shit up, you know? And it's like, wow, these people hadn't been there all night. They're going now, now it's midnight and the tear gas is starting to happen. These people are going to, you know, to, to fuck shit up and to be assholes. You know, the people all day at the protest, everybody was wearing masks. I didn't see a single person all night without a mask. But the people walking across the bridge at midnight going towards it when I was leaving were not wearing masks, you know, and they weren't dressed like the Black Lives Matter protesters. They were it was a very it was something different happening. And then the next day I'm reading about where I had been. And it's being portrayed so differently than what I experienced and what I saw. And I got really depressed. And uh, I wrote the new OK that week, the, the title cut for our yeah. So mm. God, man. Yeah, it's funny. My, you know, my mom kept talking about Portland. She gets a lot of, you know, the information that the older folks get. Sure. She, she's like, are your friends in Portland OK? And I'm like, I think they're all right. <laughs> I think they're all right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, man, it's funny. I think about that, the thing that that we do, I do it too, you know, where you, um, you're working through something and there's something meditative about the act of writing a song, but the alchemy of it, where you take like uh, conflicted emotions and like the, just the anxiety, right, that you're processing. And it reminds me sometimes of, there was a quote Steve Martin had on one of his comedy albums that I had growing up. Oh, I still have them in there. Oh, I have them too. <laughs> I'm sure I have the same one. <laughs> he had some quote. He goes, I've figured out a way to turn shit into gold. So if you see me sniffing around the floor under your chairs after you leave tonight, it's because I'm looking for shit to turn into gold. Something like that. I'm sure I'm butchering it. And I don't even really know what his point was, but I think about that all the time, right? Like that's what that's what I feel like I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. Uh. And, you know, and I, and I got to before I completely abandon what the story I told earlier, and I want to double back uh, in, in um, defense of my dad. My dad was absolutely 100 percent right. He, what he told me was not wrong. You know, his his delivery might have been, you know, a little harsh, maybe. I don't know. You know, I'm a dad. Sometimes my delivery might be a little harsh, too. I don't know. You know, but but nothing that he told me was incorrect. I mean, he had not seen the side of me because I'd never shown it. I don't know if I even knew I had it. The side of me that has enabled me to do this was nothing that he seen, had seen at that point in my life. You know, he'd never seen that side of me. You know, I've got a, I've got an inner steeliness that uh, has served me well. And, uh, but at 18 years old, it had not, 
manifested itself in any kind of way that anybody would know about, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and I didn't play guitar very good. I wasn't one of those people that was just a, like, like Mike Cooley, my partner, he was a natural and he was a kid prodigy. I mean, at 10 years old, he was like, you know, sitting in with all these like old men, bluegrass pickers. And just, he was like the, the little kid prodigy. He was badass. He had these big long fingers and he's, you know, I was never that kid. You know, I, I, uh, uh, was, you know, my voice, good God almighty, you know, I do not have a singer's voice. I have, I have learned how to make it do my job. I've learned how to work it to the point to where I can get my job done. And, and, you know, it's, it's unique enough to where that's, I guess, an asset maybe, uh, but you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not Brittany Howard, you know, or Jason <laughs> Isbell, or or someone that has, or Mike Cooley for that matter, who has just a a naturally gifted, great voice. You know, I've I've learned how to do what I have to do with it. But uh, so so my dad was not wrong in what he told me. And maybe if he hadn't been so harsh, it wouldn't have landed with you. It wouldn't have had yeah. the effect. Yeah. You know, and 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 I'm and I don't regret that I went to school. You know, I'm, I I wish I'd finished. I wish I had a degree, but uh, I regret that I fucked off. You know, but uh, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think like if you'd have had a degree, you would have had something other than a knife to fall back on, right? Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. And uh, so so you know, here it all worked out. Yeah, you know? as George Draculia says, you can't argue with the sales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh as a as the as the dad of teen, uh, teenagers you know that this is less hypothetical than it might be for someone who wasn't in the same boat as me and you with that having to give out advice or try not to give out too much advice um but is there some advice you might give patterson hood if you met yourself at the age of 21 years old but but maybe let's say working in today's world take the take the time gap out of it like in 21 year old now version of you, what advice might you give yourself? Uh, do it, get out there and do it. If, if, if you, if you feel like you're called upon to do this, you know, uh, again, my dad, my dad's advice was always, if you can live without it, live without it. You know, that's pretty good. It's pretty good advice. You know, I mean, I, I, I think I tried that and then I saw that I couldn't. So I do this and I, I can't live without it. So I keep doing it, you know, and and, uh, uh, you know, my, my other the other advice my dad gives is so good is uh, exposure. You know, well, we're you know, it's good exposure. It's like people die from that. <laughs> Like that's that's sage right there. I mean, that, that's. <laughs> but uh, obviously, I'm homesick, and my dad's in my mind because I'm talking about him a lot. But uh, yeah. but uh, the just do it. I don't know. You know, it's like uh, and do it yourself as for as long as you possibly can. You know, don't you know? Don't don't get don't get your dipshit drinking buddy to be your manager. Learn how to do it yourself. Manage yourself. Don't get a manager until you are good enough to get a good manager who can actually do something for you that you can't do for yourself. And if you've done it yourself, then you know, then you'll know when you've got that, you know, and, uh, 
You know, I hated booking my band. I hated booking shows more than anything. But I booked us until until we got Matt Hickey, who books us now, who's booked us for the last uh, God nineteen years now. You know, and uh, because there was, you know, I didn't want to just have some body booking the band that, you know, could book us into the same shitty bars that I could book us into. Why pay someone for that? You know, I wanted someone that could, you know, get us, could figure out a way to get us into the Fillmore and in places like that. So we had to put in the work and, and, and build it to a point to where we could get that. And, uh, and that, you know, all of that served us well, you know, staying unsigned as long as we did, it was, was a good thing. And, uh, and even when we did get a record deal, we still fucked up you know? <laughs> and it went terrible. You know, we still spent 10 years in, in bad record deals before we ended up with something decent. So, uh, you know, maybe we should have maybe we should have held out a little longer. I don't know. Well, man, that's one thing I've always really admired about you is you, I feel like you've got such a strong work ethic and you take it so seriously and your passion is obvious. And um, I can't thank you enough for uh, for sharing it with me and the, the Wheels Off listeners today. Thank you so much. Man, I'm thrilled to be on your show. I, uh, uh, we were... Uh painting before uh, my wife and I were painting our bedroom and, and uh, she'd been listening to them a lot and, and loving them and all that. And so we, we, we did a marathon one night listening to a whole bunch of them and they were so oh, no. and all that. And I'm, I texted you that and I was like, man, I'm loving, loving your podcast. So, uh, so thanks for having me. I'm really, really thrilled to be here and, oh, get man. To, and I get to hang out with you for a few minutes, you know? Well, my wife said to say hi to your wife and oh God, oh. we really, we miss you guys. I wish we were all down on the beach and Toto Santos together or something let's do that let's put together a festival down there (laughs) (laughs) when you know when the world comes back (laughs) you go go bang on peter buck's door we'll make it happen yeah let's do it all right man thank you so much all right brother great to talk to you all right thank you so much for listening to wheels off please be sure to rate and review the show on itunes That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.